Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. The power dynamics of paying for sex can be hard to pin down. You know, who's on top, who's in control can change in an instant. Celine St. Clair's debut novel, Sugar Baby, does dig into that relationship. It's about a young girl named Agnes who starts hanging out with older rich guys in exchange for money. But the book also explores a relationship that's you know, arguably a bit more tenuous, which is friendships with people in a different tax bracket. She spoke with NPR's Isabella Gomez Sarmiento about that and why in this story, there is no Prince Charming coming to Agnes's rescue. This message comes from NPR sponsor Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Agnes is 21 years old, bored of living at home. She works with her immigrant mom at a house cleaning business in a small town outside of London. And she only has one close friend who's either away at college or on some fabulous backpacking trip across Thailand. But when the protagonist of Celine St. Clair's debut novel has a chance encounter with the posh daughter of one of her cleaning clients, she jumps headfirst into a world of late night parties, lip filler appointments, and paid dates with powerful men. Sugar Baby rewrites narratives about sex work in the 21st century, analyzing the role that race, class, and social media play into it all. Celine St. Clair is the author, and she joins me now. Welcome. Hi, Isabella. Thank you for having me on. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you for doing this. When we first meet Agnes, uh, she's living in a place she calls The Wasteland. It's her hometown. Can you set the scene for me a little bit? Why do the characters call it that? So I think it was really important for me to kind of portray a type of setting that will be very recognizable to lots of people um, living in England, kind of like on the outskirts of like a big city that's probably a little bit forgotten, like a little bit run down. And the people that live there have usually lived there for lots of generations. There's not that many opportunities. Um, I just really thought that that was kind of an appropriate start for Agnes. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of everyone else has sort of moved on that she grew up with, like into London, which kind of in the novel represents like opportunity and glamour and becoming an adult. And it's just kind of an outward representation of how she's feeling about her own life. You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of 21-year-olds, you know, are maybe still at home or are not doing the things that they thought they would be doing by that age and are yeah. constantly comparing themselves to what their friends or their classmates are doing. And it can feel, I mean, for Agnes, it seems like she feels so lonely in that experience, doesn't she? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a culmination of things for her. I think being a minority, I think going to school with people who come from sort of wealthier backgrounds and then not going on to uni with everyone else. It's, uh, I think it definitely is a common feeling, feeling isolated and kind of unsure of the future at that age. Um, but it all just kind of piles on top of her and it's, it's definitely magnified at the point that we meet her in the novel. Right, so when we meet Agnes, she lives in the wasteland with her little sister and her mom, who is described as being a very, very beautiful and very religious woman. She has a lot of strict rules for her daughters, right? Yeah. Like no going out, no wearing makeup, no dating. How does that upbringing shape Agnes's relationship with her body and with her sexuality? I think it really creates like a split sense of self. 
it kind of amps up the drama and the contrast between a saintly role model of what a woman should be in the form of her mother. And then you've got like all the religious inferences of like a pure Madonna type woman. And then I guess the version of Agnes, which is very rebellious and um, sexual. So you've got that kind of Madonna whore dichotomy um, that's instilled Mm -hmm. in her really early on because she doesn't really resonate with the kind of example that her mother sets for her, even though she would really like to. I think she just feels like, wow, this isn't me. I must be the total opposite. The two extremes exist in her world at the beginning. So outside the wasteland where Agnes lives, there are these really big, beautiful homes. And those are the ones mostly that her and her mom clean for a living. That's where she meets Emily, who kind of lets on that even though she comes from a very rich family, that's not really like the source of all of the very glamorous things in her life. Why does Emily take Agnes under her wing? I think it's a few things. It's probably a sense of boredom. And she's writing this kind of ebook about how to get a man to do anything that you want. And I think she kind of seizes the opportunity to be like, oh, let me try it out on this very naive girl that's just kind of walked into my life. Um, I also think it is a little bit of showing off. Like, I think she really likes the fact that Agnes is kind of entranced by this and it's like a whole new world for her. It's like taking her little protege on an adventure. Definitely. And I mean, this quickly creates a rift between Agnes and her mom. Agnes ends up having to move in with Emily and her friends who are all models and also do this, have this sugaring setup where they go on dates with men for money. What do the girls teach her? And, you know, what kind of relationship do they develop with one another in in that flat, which becomes the backdrop of, you know, a big part of the novel? I think they they develop a really close relationship, even though they've all got strong personalities and some of them clash. They have a strong bond because they're kind of, they understand that the lifestyle that they're living would probably garner a lot of criticism or negative attention from the outside world, from people who aren't engaged in it necessarily. But they each have their own reasons for doing it and they kind of just accept each other, support each other, look out for each other. And um, they have fun. Like that, these are young women, like really young women, just kind of coming into their own. And it's like a world of, of adventure at times. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because they also have some very stark differences. I think as the novel goes on, Agnes sort of finds out she has more common ground with some of them than she thinks. But how do those differences manifest? And how did you think about writing those inequalities into friendship? Because I think a lot of times that's not something people like to say out loud in friend groups is the way that they have different uh, privileges and different access to things, you know, and, and it seems like it's very laid out on the table here. Yeah. Coming from a a planning stage and a developing stage of what the different characters would be, I knew that at least a few of them, if not a majority, needed to come from uh, stable financial backgrounds. And this is more of a, I don't know, like a hobby or a lifestyle choice or just something that they stumble into. Because I think that really does reflect the reality of sugaring from kind of the experiences I've had, people I've talked to, people I've interviewed. A lot of the time, this it's not really out of a, a stark financial necessity that people get into this kind of sugaring work. Right. The other girls have a safety net to fall back on once they get tired of doing this. Agnes doesn't really feel like that's the case for her. Yeah, exactly. 
And so Agnes soon starts taking on her own clients, both for paid dates and paid sexual encounters. And I feel like there's often so much morality and shame inserted into narratives about sex work. Yeah. But like in in some of these scenes that you write, Agnes is enjoying herself and enjoying what she's doing. And it seems like that's the case for most of the girls that she lives with. Why was that a reality that you wanted to capture in the novel? Because I I just feel like it's it's true. Like there are moments that she does feel like unsafe or maybe uncomfortable. But for the most part, I think it's like Agnes is a sexual character and that was really important for me. Although she does, she has a complicated relationship with it because of the religious upbringing that she's had. But she she knows and she accepts for herself that she is a very sexual person. So she does find enjoyment in these encounters and also some kind of enjoyment in the power imbalance and the dynamic with the, with these men, which is also complicated. But yeah, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, no. It totally makes sense because I think it seems like there are so many moments where the, the power goes from one to the other, right? Like, you know, the power is in the hands of the person who's paying for the encounter, but then Agnes finds herself holding so much power over that person that's paying her for a service. And then back and forth. I think sometimes it seems like she likes not being the one in power and she yeah, exactly. has to accept that that's okay, that she feels that way, that she enjoys that. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the reason why I really wanted to write a book about sugaring and sugar babies in the first place, because I found the whole idea of the power dynamic so interesting, the way it kind of twists around and just like the feeling of having power over someone more powerful than you in society as like a young woman. But then obviously that changes a lot. So yeah, I I wanted to explore those power dynamics. And I think that actually the sex scenes are a really kind of interesting way to show the minute dynamics of that. Yeah, definitely. Something I really love about the novel is that the intimacy that we experience is always between the women. It's between Agnes and her friends and roommates. It's between Agnes and her little sister, Agnes and some of the other women that she meets, you know, throughout this experience. In a novel that is so focused on sex and power between men and women, why were the female relationships um, such a big priority? Um, I think I really wanted to steer clear of Agnes getting into like a deep romantic relationship. I really didn't want her to have like a male savior or like a a true love or anything like that. I really wanted it to be a novel that although it's about men and women, like, as you say, it's it's focused on friendships and sisterly relationships and motherly relationships and finding um, companionship and understanding in those as opposed to a kind of need for a relationship necessarily, which is sort of how Agnes starts out. She's like, feels kind of disconnected from her mother. She feels that she's drifting apart from her childhood best friend. And she's kind of clinging desperately onto the hope that this guy is going to turn around and like declare his love for her. Whereas I think over the course of the novel, she she feels that she can be close to other women. And that feels like a void for her. Yeah, definitely. That's Celine St. Clair. Her debut novel is Sugar Baby. Thank you so much for speaking with me. No, thank you so much, Isabella. It was really great talking with you. (laughs) 
On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash SparkCashPlus. Terms and conditions apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor, State Farm. In the market for small business insurance, State Farm knows your business is your life. State Farm agents are small business owners, too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.